Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com, and by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee, birdsandbeans.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 682. Well, as reported previously here on Talking Birds, the date of May 28th. 2018 is one that will be remembered in the birding world for a very long time. It was the day that Ian Davies and friends observed more than 720,000 warblers flying by their position in Tadoussac, Quebec, Canada in one day. And in case you thought you were hearing things, yes, that number is 720,000. And the man who observed and reported on that extraordinary river of warblers will be here with us on the show this morning to tell us about it. Well, we were startled this week not by a buzzing bee, but by a bee statistic. Here in our pretty small home state of Massachusetts, we have, according to Mass Audubon, 265 species of bees. 265 in one little state. We uh, looked up how many bee species there are in the whole country, and according to no less an authority than the website bugguide.net, there are 4,000 species of bees in North America. We didn't know that, but we did know that bees are very important for the pollination of many important plants, and that's why we take note of the fact that this week, ending today, actually, is National Pollinator Week. There's a lot more to know about it, worth knowing, at pollinator.org. Pollinator.org. Back in late September, we made a trip to one of the world's very special places, the Galapagos Islands, about 600 miles off the coast of Ecuador, and famous for things like Charles Darwin's groundbreaking evolutionary studies and giant tortoises, flightless cormorants, Galapagos penguins, and many other species that exist nowhere else on Earth. Our crew was blown away by the experience and very pleasantly surprised to find that virtually all of the islands we visited were completely free of trash, plastic, and otherwise. We've since learned, though, that out in the waters of the islands and under the surface of the sea, the story was a bit different, such that since April of this year, 22 tons of plastic and other debris was picked up from the local waters and shorelines thanks to folks from organizations like the Galapagos Conservancy. Well, now the local authority there, the Galapagos Governing Council, is doing things to help ensure that whatever plastic may find its way into Galapagos waters and shores will not likely come from the islands themselves. That's because they've instituted a ban on all single-use plastics. Things like plastic straws, single-use plastic bags, plastic foam takeout containers and non-returnable beverage containers, four of the most egregious contributors to ocean plastic pollution. Congrats to the government there in the Galapagos Islands, and being, well, their actions are being echoed by many others, which we'll uh, talk about again uh, soon here on the program. That is the sound of our mystery bird. It's a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a little bit later in the show. Hoping to get you ready to call in when we do that a little bit later. Our mystery bird is bright yellow from the top of its belly to the bottom of its bill. It has a black and white face with black stripes continuing down its sides. Has a gray back and double white wing bars. 
Our bird winters in Florida and points south and breeds up as far north as Illinois, Ohio, and New Jersey. And sometimes in our place here in New England, it feeds on insects along tree branches, bundles of pine needles, and Spanish moss. That's our Mystery Bird Contest preview. We have some fabulous prizes, as usual, for that. Coming along just a little bit later on in this morning's Talking Birds show. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page uh, this week. The bird bridge between Mexico and the U.S. Birds are migrating between countries, and so are friendships and scientific knowledge will connect you to the story written by Peace Corps volunteer and Talkin' Birds ambassador, Carolyn Smith. Acupuncture on penguins aims to give old birds new life. We have the story from the San Francisco Chronicle. Bad news, curlews are being poached in Idaho. Good news, until recently no one knew why their numbers were declining. Now that the reason is known, action is being taken. We'll take you to the details from Boise State Public Radio. Some of the stories on our Facebook page right now, you can find those stories, too, on an online search, in case you're not a Facebook follower. A chance to say thank you once again. New Talking Birds ambassadors signing up this week. Thank you to Mike Romano from Great Barrington, Massachusetts. He says, hello from the beautiful Berkshires of Western Mass. Love the show. Listen every Sunday on WSBS. Thanks for your wonderful and informative program. Well, thank you so much, Mike, for becoming an ambassador. And thank you to Victoria Marks from Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. She says she got bit by the birding bug three years ago, loves listening to the podcast in Western Canada. She says, I enjoy birding while hiking and floating down the river. That sounds pretty nice. And by the way, she says, we're in our early 30s, and we've noticed more younger people are getting into birding and she says, I think that my generation is looking for ways to manage their stress. And she says, I think birding does that. I think you are right, Victoria. And thank you so much for becoming an ambassador. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join Victoria and Mike. Become a Talking Birds ambassador. Hand out some of our info cards. Find out more and see how easy it is to do on the contact button at TalkingBirds.com and choose the Become and ambassador options. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with eBirds Ian Davies about those 700,000 plus warblers up in Quebec. And Mike O'Connor will tell us about egg rotation and other mysteries of bird nesting. Just ahead, next, modest dramatization here uh, by way of introducing today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Here's a small sparrow you asked for, Professor, and the raspberry juice you're going to dip him into. Professor! It's alive! It's alive! Yes, Professor, and it's a, a, a purple finch. Yes, the purple finch, famously described as looking like a sparrow dipped in raspberry juice. 
Here in the eastern U.S., the purple finch used to be the red finch seen at bird feeders until the house finch introduced from the southwest displaced it. Too bad, because most people would say the purple finch is the more handsome of the two species, with a deeper raspberry red coloring on the head and chest of the male, and sharply defined brown stripes on the chest and belly of the female. The purple finch feeds on flowers, but does so by crushing the base of the flower to get at the nectar, without damaging the flower itself. And instead of eating the pulp of fruits, it often feeds on the seeds instead. The purple finch, this week's featured feathered friend, here on Talkin' Birds. Welcome again to our show number 682. If you're new to the show, we hope you'll look us up. Find out more at TalkinBirds.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at TalkinBirds. Well, an event this past May 28th caused an experienced birder from Massachusetts to exclaim in print, Today was the greatest birding day of my life. That birder was Ian Davies, and he's here with us this morning to tell us exactly what was so great about it. Uh, good morning, Ian. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for having me. You are you are very welcome. Uh, lots of folks have been having you lately, I'm sure, from all over after this amazing event. You wrote that comment, uh, Ian, an accompanying report on a checklist submission form on the eBird website, along with your five fellow birders at the Tadoussac Bird Observatory, north shore of the St. Lawrence River, just north of Quebec City in eastern Canada. Tell us what happened that led you to describe May 28th as the greatest birding day of your life. It's hard to capture in words, but uh, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, it, was, it was unbelievable. Um, we ended up, over the course of about nine hours, having more than 700,000 individual warblers fly past us. Mm. Um, it was, uh, like, like I said, like you, you mentioned, the, the greatest day of my life. Um, it was pretty amazing because so many birding times you're looking for maybe one or two Cape May warblers, or if you have a bay-breasted warbler, it's a great day. And uh, on this one day, we estimated more than 100,000 of each of those species. Three species. Or is it of those two species that, that you mentioned? There were Cape May, Bay-Breasted, and Tennessee, right? Yeah, so there were Cape May, Bay-Breasted, Tennessee, all in numbers more than 70,000 each. There were 30,000 Blackburnian warblers, 15,000 Canada's, um, just inconceivable numbers, orders of magnitude more than I'd ever seen of those cumulatively in my life till then. And as I understand it, these birds migrating were not heading north when you saw, the, saw them, but actually southwest, if I have that right. Do we have a clear understanding of what was happening there? Yeah, I don't know if we have a clear understanding, but we certainly have some ideas that we're excited to test out. Um, so as you mentioned, the Tadasac Bird Observatory uh, it is situated here on the north shore of the St. Lawrence, and they've been monitoring this phenomenon of kind of redirected migration for more than a decade in the region. And the current kind of working idea is that these birds are migrating northward uh, like normal to try and get back to their breeding sites, but that sometimes when there's a night of favorable migration conditions, they'll actually kind of overshoot the spring season almost. 
So when we were up there, it was late May, but there were still almost no leaves on the trees and very little insect life for these birds to feed on. So our thought is that they fly further than the conditions can really support. They land, they realize that it's still early spring, and then they're basically turning around and flying back southward, just searching for sustenance. Uh huh. So where they ultimately ended up, would that be their normal destination, or would that farther north place be their normal spot to land? Yeah, so where, where is Tadasac is situated along the coast of the river, there are some birds that breed there, but most of them are in the boundless boreal forest to the north of the location. Mm-hmm. So why we think May 28th was such a spectacular day was kind of this perfect storm of events where there was perfect weather conditions, um, southward winds giving them a tailwind stretching all the way down to the northern U.S., rain around dawn that kind of causes them to uh, drop out of migration, and then the really late spring that I think all of us in the Northeast have noticed that kind of created conditions that are more harsh than usual. So these birds were arriving back at places that in a normal spring might have food, but then they realized that when they landed, there was nothing there for them. And just in terms of these overall gigantic numbers, uh, what, what do we think about that? And is there a bit of, uh, is a, a big spruce budworm ex- population explosion? Has that sort of come into play here? Yeah, great question. And, and that was one of the, the really notable things about this event was that some of the most abundant species, the Cape Mays, the Bay Breasted, and the Tennessees, um, are all really closely tied to the, the cyclical population of spruce budworms. Uh, which over the past decade have really been exploding in eastern Quebec. And so it's something that, although there was this perfect storm of weather events, um, we also think that numbers like this at a single site might not have even been possible a decade or two ago uh, due to the recent increase in budworms. Wow. Well, you must have thought of stories of passenger pigeons in the early 19th century filling the sky in in uncountable numbers uh, when you saw this. But uh, tell us about the technique for counting these warblers. Yeah, that, that was one of the most difficult parts of the day, kind of balancing the need to try and document what you're seeing with just sitting back and appreciating something that is unsurpassed and you'll, you'll never encounter again. So uh, what we tried to do is basically estimate the, the rate of birds that were moving and then the species composition. So when there are birds moving at that volume, you just physically can't count every individual bird. So what we do would be basically look out with binoculars at one of the flight lines of birds pouring past and estimate the number of birds moving by per second. And we do that maybe four or five times, take an average, and then a couple minutes later check again, see if it had changed. And we did that throughout the whole day. Um, at its peak, uh, birds were moving by at 50 a second, so about 3,000 <laughs> birds a minute. My goodness. Well, you're not just a birding enthusiast, Ian. It's also your profession as a project coordinator uh, for eBird. For those who aren't familiar with it, tell us a bit about eBird, if you would, and your work with the project. Yeah, I, I feel very fortunate to be able to do something uh, for a job that doesn't doesn't feel like work. Um, so what I, I do is I'm privileged to be able to work with the the eBird project, which is uh, the largest biological citizen science project in the world. And it really uh, basically provides a platform for folks who are interested in birds to record their sightings uh, in a way that helps them keep track of their lists, 
find more birds, but also, most importantly, makes that information available for research and conservation. And so uh, eBird so far has collected about 550 million sightings of birds uh, from every country on Earth. And uh, those data have been used for conservation and hundreds of peer-reviewed papers all around the world. And you did say in every country on Earth. Yeah, every single one we've got at least one checklist from. Pretty amazing. Well, Ian, if I'm not mistaken, you're only 26, so you have many (laughs) birding years ahead. Uh, Do you have hopes of topping uh, that experience in Tadoussac, and what might that look like if you did? Yeah, that that was one of the things we were kind of joking about as (laughs) as the day wound down and the birds kind of slackened off after nine hours of pouring past. Uh, Those of us who were there kind of looked at each other and were like, well, I... Man, I don't know. I don't know what's next. We're gonna we're gonna have to find a new interest. I think I think it's all downhill from here. All right. Ian Davies is a project coordinator for eBird, the world's largest biodiversity-related citizen science project, managed by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. He's from Massachusetts, and he was part of one of the greatest bird observing experiences in modern times. Thanks for being with us, Ian. And maybe we'll see you in Tadoussac uh, next spring. I think we'll have a lot of company there if we do. Thanks, Ray. Hope to see you there. All right. Coming up next here on Talking Birds, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. I'm Laura Blakesley from Charlotte, North Carolina. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because even without being one, I already was one. Every time I would be meeting people out on the birding trails, I would be talking about the show and how fun it was to listen to and asking everyone to tune in to Ray Brown's Talking Birds. It's for anybody who likes birds. Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. And that's the sound of our mystery bird. So this would be our mystery bird contest. We invite you to call in and tell us what that bird is or take a guess. Guess it correctly, be first and win our prize package or take a guess and win by virtue of no correct answer being received in a little drawing here. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. That's 781-837-4900. You heard the bird there. It's bright yellow from the top of its belly to the bottom of its bill. It has a black and white face with black stripes continuing down its sides. It has a gray back and double white wing bars. Our bird winters in Florida and points south and breeds up as far as Illinois and Ohio, New Jersey, sometimes New England. It feeds on insects along tree branches and pine needles and Spanish moss. That would be our mystery bird and some clues. Prizes. We have the Droll Yankees iconic original A6F bird feeder. The one that really created the whole idea of a tube feeder. Certainly mimicked lots of times, but still the best on the planet from Droll Yankees. Our bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. That's the app that makes learning bird sounds 
a game. So those are our prizes. You heard the bird and the clues. The number is 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. Don't hesitate. Give us a call and tell us what you think. 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor has been observing birds in his backyard and watching some pretty interesting stuff. And he'll explain it to us next. Let's ask Mike live in just one minute. Well, here's a preview of another great nature book from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, publishers of the Peterson Field Guides, the Kaufman Field Guides, and many more useful guidebooks and reading books. The Guide to Walden Pond is the first guidebook to Henry David Thoreau's Most Defining Place, visited by half a million people each year. Many more know it as the fountainhead of America's environmental consciousness. Using this guide, both armchair readers and trail walkers can join Thoreau devotee Robert Thorson on an amble around the pond's shoreline, stopping at 15 special places to explore people, events, and the natural world. Abundantly illustrated with photographs, drawings, and maps, this guide is a must-have for a meaningful, engaging tour of Walden Pond, as well as a souvenir of a visit. The Guide to Walden Pond is available wherever books are sold. Mike O'Connor's down there at the famous Birdwatcher's General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and he is joining us on the telephone right now. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, Ray. I hear the theme song playing. That's uh, that would be your your cue, so you can start talking anytime when you when you hear that. It's just <laughs> it's just fine. Well, uh, have you uh, done anything to kind of match uh, Ian Davies and friends in the uh, number of bird sightings? He had seven hundred twenty thousand uh, in one day. Can you uh, can you top that? Oh, that's nothing. That's a piece of cake. Yeah, a piece of cake. I've got one. Count them one. Yeah. Great crested flycatcher nesting in a box. Yeah. We talked about this last week, and she's still there. And last week, she had just finished building the nest, and over the course of the week, she'd been laying. Typically, birds lay an egg a day, and the songbirds, and stopped. She stopped at five, mm-hmm. and you know, and it's, I think it's. Really cool is that, you know, you'd think, well, should to lay an egg, and I got customers who call about this, you know, the bird laid an egg and then left, and that's kind of exactly what they do. They lay an egg, and then the next day they'll lay another one. In between, they don't do a thing in terms of songbirds, because they want all these birds to hatch at once, so if she doesn't start incubating until the last egg is laid, which in this case was egg number five, and then she sits tight on them. She develops a brood patch, which means it's like bare skin on her on her belly, so she can keep the eggs warm. And the reason why she wants all the eggs to hatch at once is because when they fly out, she can't, you know, attend the birds in the nest and tend the birds that are flying around the neighborhood at the same time. So they all have to kind of go at the same stage and fly around at the same time so the parents can keep an eye on them. They can't do they do both. So she doesn't start incubating until the last egg is laid. And then the incubating is really intense, nonstop, all night long. Hmm. And, you know, I, uh, I wanted to have this TV in my bedroom so I could watch them, but my, my wife vetoed that for some reason. So it's in the <laughs> living room. And she's and she almost never sleeps. She looks like someone, you know, her eyes close a little bit, like somebody on the commuter rail nodding off, and then she wakes up right away. This is not your wife you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends on the day. And then she'll she'll she digs down and she rotates the eggs and she sits down again. And about every twenty minutes, she does that whole process of moving the eggs and rotating the eggs. And and 
only once in a while she'll fly out uh, to get some food. And for some reason, you know, and every bird is different, but the old man just, he hangs around, but he's not helping in terms of incubating or even bringing her food that I can see. Should, you know, you would think she, he would reach in with a bug once in a while. No, he's just like <laughs> lost. He's just like totally clueless. So she goes out, gets her own food. Maybe she meets him somewhere and feeds, offers her some food in the tree someplace. I can't, I can't follow that. But it's so exciting. So um, that's what we got going on now. And hopefully, maybe not next week, because it's about a two-week period. Most songbirds takes about two weeks to incubate. So we're, we're looking at another 10 days. So everybody, you know, just try to hang on for a few more days. <laughs> and I'll tell you about the big hatching that's coming up. Yeah. Any other birds uh, nesting ar- around there or that you've spotted at all? Well, this is late. You know, these yeah. birds eat so many insects and so many large insects. They, they're like purple martins. They don't really hatch till later in the June. And later in June, the, my chickadees have already fledged. My tree swallows have already fledged. But these guys depend on large butterflies and dragonflies mm-hmm. and bigger bi- bugs. So they really haven't gotten. They don't get going. Strangely, I think this is late. You know, middle. Mm-hmm. It's almost the end of June, and these guys are just settling on the eggs. So it'll be a while. All right. And goldfinches are next. Have they started nesting uh, yet? Or? Yeah, I think I think right around now. So goldfinches will be get will be getting going. And the hummingbirds, people are complaining, not enough hummingbirds. Well, they just finished nesting, and another week or two, the hummingbirds will be back, and we'll have plenty of those. I hope. All right. Talk to you next week, Mike. Okay. Sounds cool. Mike O'Connor at the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Want tips on backyard birding? Birdwatching Magazine has published a handy booklet that is yours to download free. The 16-page guide includes field-tested answers to the most common questions about the birds in your backyard. Go to birdwatchingdaily.com to get your free copy. We're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest, 781-837-4900. Our mystery bird is bright yellow from the top of its belly to the bottom of its bill. It has a black and white face with black stripes continuing down its sides. It has a gray back and double white wing bars. Winters in Florida and points south and breeds up as far north as Illinois and Ohio and New Jersey. Rarely New England, it feeds on insects along tree branches and bunches of pine needles and Spanish moss. What would that mystery bird be? 781-837-4900 is the number. And our friend Candy down in Jamestown, Rhode Island may have a guest for us. Uh, Good morning, Candy. Hello, Candy. Are you there? You may yes, need I to. Am. You may to turn turn down that radio if you have it up. If you have it turned up, unless yep. it's our thing at, at this end. Well, if you don't, if you don't mind my mentioning, I'm pretty sure I know uh, that this is Candy, our uh, Talking Birds ambassador there in Jamestown. Am I correct? Yes, you are correct. And you've just come back from Iceland. That's right. Wow! Can you give us a 20 second run rundown of your experience <laughs> there? Well, we spent uh, five days in Iceland, um, three of which up on the northern coast in Husavik. Um, did some whale watching and puffin watching and fulmars nesting on the coast, oh. on the uh, cliffs. And uh, people never talked about Iceland being a birding location, but even those of us who have been to, to uh, uh, Europe birding uh, saw lots of really cool birds. We had uh, golden um Clovers and we had uh, black-tailed godwits, mm. um, just all over the place. So it was just really a fascinating place, and I would recommend it for birders. All right, Iceland, we're talking about wonderful. What about our mystery bird then, Candy? Well, I'm going to say magnolia warbler. Magnolia warbler, Jesse. Any uh, response to that? Jesse will be our arbiter. Actually, arbiter. don't know. How, I don't know how to respond to that. 
He doesn't know how to respond. He doesn't know what to say. I, I think that's not a good sign, though, because uh, that is not the, uh, that's not the answer we were looking for. A top-quality oh. guest, though. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Candy. Alrighty, All right. Thank you. Candy All right. uh, in uh, Jamestown, Rhode Island with a top-quality guest, but not exactly the one we were looking at, looking for. Uh, we have another caller from Rhode Island. That's, is that right? Uh, East Islip? I thought that was in New York, but this says Jack from East Islip, Rhode Island. Jack, do we have that right? Or? <laughs> no, actually, it's East Islip, Long Island. It's okay, Long Puppet Island. County, okay, Long so Island. Yeah. It, is, it is New York. Okay. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Jesse had extra R's there. They put, put the R in there instead of the L. Uh, okay. Now that we've gotten through that, what about our, our mystery bird there, Jack? I'm going to say that is a yellow-throated warbler, which I saw two days ago. Wow. Well, if you saw it two days ago, it must be right, because you have a, a, a strong memory. <laughs> yellow-throated warbler. We have warbler. a pair of nesting. nesting that far from me. Wow. And we see, we've been seeing them pretty regular for the last three years or so. Wow, that's not any number, maybe two yeah. or three, but um, they're moving up. Yeah, I was going to say some years ago that would have not have been a thing you'd see at all. It'd be very, very unusual indeed. Yes. Wow, Jack, nice job on that. Uh, stay on the line. We'll get your address and send you those uh, prizes. Okay, Ray. Thank you very much. Thank have you. A great day. Thanks, Jack. Jack, there in uh, in, in Long Island, uh, the yellow-throated warbler was our uh, uh, our mystery bird. Uh, we are out of, out of time, aren't we? Here, Jesse, thanks so much for being with us. We have a great show next week, so we'll see you then. Ray Brown's talking birds, made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com, and by Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee.